the way a man lives is the way one dies. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 3 is one of those obscure verses, and it wasn't until I was preparing this sermon that I came across it. And as I said, it's one of those obscure verses that you probably, well, you may, (laughs) have already read and sat with a little bit. It goes like this. Whether a tree falls north or south, it stays where it falls. You wouldn't really write a thesis on it, I don't think. Where, whether a tree falls north or south, it stays where it falls. Up in the mountains, we're used to falling trees. And some of them are big boys. And they stay where they fall. Martin Luther wrote in a commentary on this very verse... Man is like a tree which is bound to fall one way or the other. Speaking about our lives. And will be judged according to the way he falls in death. Now, here's a little bit of a story to illustrate what I mean. And really, this is a very inadequate illustration. But it was the best I could do. There was a man who had a very successful business. It was a a deli business. And he had stores all over uh, the country, all over the state. And on his deathbed, the top executives of his company all gathered around his bed to hear these last pearls of wisdom from their boss. Some weighty word that, uh, that they could hang on to as he departed this life. And with his dying breath, the man said, Slice the ham thin. As he lived, so he died. A very stingy man to start with and dies the same way. It's inadequate, I understand, Um, uh, particularly when we uh, use that illustration and we see uh, Jesus dying as he lived. And how did he live? Well, he lived in this intimate and close relationship with his heavenly father. And this morning, it's about how he died. How he died. And we've been journeying Uh, along that road now for several weeks. And so this morning we conclude that sermon series, The Seven Words from the Cross. And I really trust and hope that this has been a blessing to you, not only on Sundays, but as if you gathered in your home groups as well and, and studied and talked and shared and been challenged and blessed at the same time. And we want to look this morning at the most famous words of all that were spoken, those last words of Jesus just before he took his last breath. But before I continue, I want to say that throughout everything that was happening to Jesus on the cross, and we've explored every week everything that was happening to him, 
that he, Jesus, was in control. That he was in control. It may look as if the Roman soldiers were in control. It may look like Satan himself was in control. It may look like the religious leaders had finally got him nailed to the cross and therefore they were in control. And you may have thought that the mob was in control. But I want to remind you of a verse of scripture. Uh, Okay. No? Okay. There you go. Where Jesus said these words, No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. Not in any sense was this out of control. What happened to Jesus was all part of God's purpose and plan. In fact, Luke in Acts tells us that. It was all part of his design. It all meant to happen this way. And Jesus, in love for his Father, in obedience to his Father, was fulfilling the very plan of salvation. Luke tells it like this. By this time it was noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, and again let me remind you of the excruciating pain that he is in. And just to take a breath, he had to lift himself up on the, the, the huge nine-inch stakes that were through his ankles. And to bring himself up as he was on this angle, the medium nerves have already been severed in his wrist. So there's immense pain shooting into his shoulders. He's almost dead at this point. And so with his last strength, he lifts himself up and he shouts, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened. He worshipped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. This Roman centurion had been a witness to all that had taken place. His own men had scourged Jesus, had beaten him, Beyond recognition, Isaiah 52. He was totally unrecognizable as a man. He did not, uh, according to Isaiah, he didn't even look like a man. 
His face so disfigured, so beaten was Christ. Hardly recognizable. And then this same Roman centurion, this hardened warrior, along with his men, impale Jesus on the cross. Yet to his amazement, the very first words from the lips of Jesus are the words of forgiveness. And this is a forgiveness that's not conditional on remorse or repentance, but rather a repent, a, 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 a forgiveness that is around the whole sacrificial love of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was the first word we ever heard in our sermon series, that word of forgiveness. And then the second word he heard, come on, let's just stand at the foot of the cross, shall we? And listen and take it all in again and hear once again the conversation between the thief or the the criminal and, and Christ. And here's this word of assurance, this word of salvation. And although suffering as he was, Jesus stopped. And to say to this criminal, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, Luke said that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so even on the cross, he's fulfilling. Remember last week, he's still doing the very work of which he was sent to do. And then we saw his selfless love, the tenderness and care that Jesus showed to his mother, even when he himself was in need of comfort. Not a word was spoken to him. No one said to him, be strong. Stay firm. The end is near. Not one word of comfort for Christ. And yet he brings a word of comfort to his mother. Jesus said in the garden of Gethsemane, this is the hour of darkness. This was the devil's hour. And church, I want to tell you, the devil's hour had now finished. And the crowd had their fill of ridicule and jeering. Now it's God's time to enter and to take the center stage. And as this eerie silence descends on the scene and the darkness which is so thick that you could feel it. And that's exactly the darkness that was felt on one of the plagues that that God sent uh, upon Egypt. The darkness so dark that you could feel it. I've never been in a darkness like that. And so in in this scene, and this darkness covers the whole land, And Jesus, for the next three hours, experiences unimaginable suffering as he takes the full force of God's judgment and God's wrath and in so doing, pays in full the penalty for my sin and for your sin and the sin of the whole world. And feeling totally alone, totally cut off, 
in those three hours of darkness from the intimate, close relationship that he has with his father and feeling totally abandoned, Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus endured that separation so that you and I could be here this morning. That you and I could be in relationship with God. That you and I would not be abandoned. Don't you love the words of Jesus when he said to his disciples, I I won't leave you as orphans. I won't abandon you, but I will come to you. And in the person of the Holy Spirit who lives within us and is with us, he is there. We are not abandoned. But Jesus was so that we wouldn't be. And now in this shroud of darkness that had enveloped the whole of the land, a shout, one more shout comes from Christ. And that's the final word. And it's the final word, as we saw last week, of victory. This wasn't just a whimpering out. This was a strong cry of victory from the cross. It's finished. The work that you sent me to do has been accomplished. Salvation is now available to all. Sins can be forgiven. It's finished. And then as if The darkness is lifted off of him. Once more, there seems to be this connection. Father. Father. I entrust my spirit into your hands. And at those words, the ground begins to shake violently. And it splits open. And there's a mighty earthquake. And in terror, this battle-hardened centurion cries out, Surely this man was the Son of God. Wow. What a scene. But church, what a Savior. What a Savior. And he's your Savior this morning. He's my Savior this morning. He's the Savior of the world, the whole of mankind. He's the Savior. There's no one else like Him. I feel like I want to just get up and boast about Him and brag about Him. There's no one like Him. There's no one that's ever loved us the way He's loved us. You know when... Jesus uttered that last prayer. I entrust my spirit into your hands. He was quoting Psalm 31 and verse 5. Which was a very familiar passage to everyone at the foot of that cross. It was a familiar passage. You see, sections of Psalm 31 made up part of the evening prayers and were prayed as a family got ready to go to bed. 
mothers would teach their children to pray. This very simple yet intimate bedtime prayer. And the little children, they would pray, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Scottish theologian William Barclay, speaking on this word, Jesus prayed, said this, Jesus made this or it, in other words, this psalm, even more intimate, for he began it with the word Father. Even on the cross, Barclay goes on to say, Jesus died like a child falling asleep in the arms of his father. Theologian Cole Barth was asked this question, what is the single most important discovery you have made in your years of theological work? Any Theo heads here this morning? Aspiring Theo heads here this morning. Listen to what Karl Bach said. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. I don't want us to move on quite yet. I want us to stay with this moment with Jesus. No more words from the crowd. They're all silent. They're all quaking in their shoes as this darkness falls upon them. But a simple prayer is heard from a heart that's broken. And Jesus died medically from a broken heart. He died from heart failure. He died from a broken heart, church. And so he finishes his life with a simple little prayer he learnt from his mum as a little boy. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Now at this point when it's all finished and Jesus is so close to death, he's finding comfort, he's finding strength from a childhood prayer. And I pray, church, that we will never, ever forget that in saving us and forgiving us, God has brought us into an intimate and a close relationship with, with himself where childlike faith and trust, listen to me, are the greatest assets in that relationship. You know what? We just get far too serious as we mature in Christ. And I'm not saying that we should be childish in our relationship, in, in our, uh, our growth in Christ, but we continue. We should have this childlike faith and trust in him. He's our father. You know, my eldest son is 40, how old today? 48, 47, 47. And whenever we see each other, he kisses me. I love it. I love it. At 47, he kisses his dad. And I kiss him back. There's this child that's still there, even though he's 47. And he says, Dad, I love you. 
How many dads here this morning? <laughs> you just, that's, that's gold, isn't it? That's gold. And so I hope we never lose this, this childlike faith. So what do we learn from these last words of Jesus? Well, the first thing we learn is this word of trust. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Jesus had no problem putting his spirit into his father's hands. He had no difficulty because he knew that they were, there were no better hands than his father's hands and that he could certainly trust his father. Psalm 34, uh, 33 and verse 4 says, For the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything he does. We can trust everything he does because his word holds true. I want to say to you this morning, we have a father in heaven that can be totally and utterly trusted. Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And that word entrust is a Greek word that means to yield, to give over, to entrust, to commend. Particularly to entrust someone to the care and protection of another person. So as Jesus lets go of this life, he trusts his eternal destiny to his father into his father's everlasting arms. But the word of entrust is also used when depositing, entrusting something for safekeeping on behalf of another person. For example, we're all familiar with um, uh, safety deposit boxes. We've got something valuable, something that we don't want destroyed, something that we don't want broken whatever it may be, an important document, we put that into a deposit box where it'll be kept for safe keeping. And so therefore, when Jesus is saying, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands, he's saying, I am depositing my life, my soul, my spirit to you, my Father, for safe keeping. So here's a question for you that I'll leave with you this morning. What do you need to entrust to God this morning? Would you like me to tell you what it is? No, I don't have the gift of prophecy. And I'm waiting right now for the gift of knowledge, but I'm not sure it'll come to me. But nevertheless, I'll take a stab and tell you what it is that you need to entrust into God's hands this morning. It's whatever is making you anxious. Whatever you're worried about right now, whatever you're fearful of right now, and that whatever is, is quite, you know, lengthy, and there's quite a number of things. 
Can I encourage you to do what Jesus gives us this example to do? Just entrust it. Give it to the Lord. Remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make straight your path. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. We learn from the last words of Jesus that you can confidently trust God. Full stop. And there is also security in our Father's hands. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. There's security in the hands of God. You this morning are in the hands of God. You should be feeling and I should be feeling so secure this morning. Trusting in God, feeling secure in God. And Jesus welcomed those secure hands, the security that he found in them. He welcomed the comfort in those hands. And Jesus found trust in those hands of his father. And Jesus welcomed the power in those hands to do what no other hands could do. And that was to deliver him out of the hands of man. You see, the hands of men and by the hands of men, Jesus was illegally arrested. By the hands of men, he was beaten unmercifully until he was unrecognizable. By the hands of men, he was scourged until his flesh fell from his bones. And the same cruel hands that jammed a crown of thorns on his head and placed a a, a robe of mockery around his shoulders, by the brutal hands of men, he was stripped naked and staked out upon a cross. Wicked hands, evil hands, did all they could do to defeat Jesus. But now, Jesus remembers whose hands he's actually in. He knows he's returning to his father. And he's in the hands of his father. So he says the last thing, the last thing before he falls asleep. Father. Into your hands, I entrust my spirit. Earlier I said that Jesus prayed that prayer and that he was quoting Psalm 31 and verse 5, which is a part of a Jewish bedtime prayer. So let me suggest uh, to you this morning, that this is a word, this is a statement, that this is a prayer that you and I can say for the rest of our lives. When you're afraid or you're disappointed 
or you're confused or you don't know which way to go, which direction to turn to, or you feel lonely or you're dealing with illness or pain and the uncertainty of life, you can pray, Father, I totally trust you and I place my hands, my life in your hands. I wonder what it is that you need to place into the hands of God this morning. Whatever it is, let it be secondary to yourself. Put yourself in his hands this morning. We're going to have communion now. And as we take of the bread and of the cup, let's just remember everything that we've been, I guess, journeying through over these last several weeks. But also to remember that there's no greater hands to be found in other than the hands of our God and Father. And that this morning, as we eat the bread and take the cup, we remember everything that Christ has done for us. All that has been accomplished for us. And that we look forward, not only to Sunday, where we will celebrate our risen Lord Jesus Christ, but that we will look forward that perhaps even in our lifetime to the return of Christ. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, and come quick. Let me pray, and then we will um, receive the bread and the cup. <clears throat>